So now Caroline is going to be kicking off today's sermon and sharing time. So let's welcome Caroline. Thank you. Morning. I really loved um, singing that song with um, the lyric mother instead of father. I don't know about you guys, especially this week. There has been so much violence um, in the news and thinking about the world as the mother's world um, is very comforting to me. Um, So before I start uh, today's topic today, um, I would like to take a little moment to pray for what's been going on. Um, Has been a lot of violence and hate and resentment in the news. And um, let's remember the victims and the other vulnerable people together. We've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit came all the way to us and to each one of us. And let's practice that a little bit by, as I mentioned, these groups of people, turn our hearts toward them and imagine the Holy Spirit coming and shining them with, uh, with her grace and blessing. Um, so uh, the Holy Spirit, we remember the Jewish worshipers who gathered to pray and connect with each other like we are today and hit by violence and hate. Let your face shine upon them, Holy Spirit. We remember the African-American community who live under the constant fear of discrimination and hate and violence. Let your face shine upon them, Holy Spirit. And other vulnerable groups of people among us, the immigrants, the LGBTQ community, ethnic and religious minorities, let your face shine upon them. And Holy Spirit, uh, we also pray that the hate that's so blatantly displayed would not infect our hearts and souls with fear and anger. Let your face shine upon us as well, Holy Spirit. And let me end my prayer with St. Francis' um, peace prayer. Lord, make, me an, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Mother, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we're born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you. So... We've been talking about uh, um, the Holy Spirit, the the current series. I've been really enjoying our current series, um, the power of the Holy Spirit in ordinary time. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit um, has 
broken out of the temple and into the world and come close to us, to each one of us, making it possible for us to experience her personally and intimately in different ways. Last week, Peter um, preached an excellent sermon and shared about his experience of the Holy Spirit over the years and and the value of taking time to think things over with the Holy Spirit. And the so the practicality of what it might look like to think things over with the Holy Spirit is what we want to talk about today. The speakers at the river often talk about hearing from God, talking with God, or having conversations with Him. Two-way conversations with God, which we call often call a conversational prayer. And some of you uh, might exactly know what we're talking about, and some of you might be thinking that what is that? And if I were to try it, how do I start? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I find the conversational relationship with God as um, one of the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is what makes the friendship with God possible. Can you imagine a friendship uh, with someone where there's no communication whatsoever? It would be difficult to carry on a friendship without a way to express thoughts and feelings and um, ideas to each other, right? Um, to be heard and be seen and to be understood and to create a shared reality between the two persons. With our friendship with God, it is the same. And the great news is that God speaks. God has always been speaking and communicating with people all over the Bible. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to meet each one of us, this gift of friendship and conversation is available to everyone who seeks. In Matthew um, 4, 4, Jesus quotes the Old Testament Bible, um, says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a larger context to this verse, but for today's purpose, I just want to point out a couple things here. It says every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Greek word behind this is rima. And according to the dictionary that I looked up, rima means that that which is or has been uttered by the living voice. Things spoken, word. Um, it's an utterance by a living voice, in this case, God's voice. And the verse that we just looked um, is in present tense, right? The man shall not live on, um, on the bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, it is not God's utterance that happened before and been written down like the Bible. It's um, more than that. Words still come from the mouth of God to this day, and they feed us like the daily bread. They deepen our friendship with God, 
and bring joy into our relationship with God. They open our eyes to who God is to us. And this communication with God brings meaning to us by connecting our lives with God's world. And slowly we change through this friendship. It is one of the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit. So today, instead of me keep talking about how great it is, which I already have, I've asked two riverites to um, come up and share their stories of conversation, conversational prayer with us. And then after we hearing those two stories, uh, I will introduce briefly the practice of journaling as one way to, of having a conversational prayer. And then we'll try together as an exercise. Okay? So I'm going to ask, uh, invite Steve to come up and share his story. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Today you're in for a special treat. I, I get to share my deep, dark, personal secret. <laughs> All right. Well, here goes. I grew up in a cult. So, um, but I'm normal now. <laughs> Except sometimes I use uh, I grew up in a cult as my internet password. <laughs> it's true. Um, I say this as sort of a jest, sort of true, because everyone has a different definition of cult. And I'll explain what I went through, and you can see it feature definition. Um, but it's also good that I can stand up here and talk about it and even kind of laugh, because it, it was an area of great shame for, for a while. And a, a quick anecdote, I met my wife on Christian Mingle, and she didn't want to go on it, as she didn't want to meet any culty people. <laughs> but, but she joined, and we met. And I didn't tell her about this history until about three months later after we were dating. And her response was, if I had told her on the first day, she wouldn't have dated me. <laughs> All right, so here it goes. So I grew up in the Worldwide Church of God. It doesn't really exist anymore, but lots of copycat versions of it do. And we knew the Bible very well and self-identified as Christian. And I knew many people who were genuine and some were frauds. And we basically followed all of the Old Testament and New Testament rules in the Bible. So, like, no pork, no selfish. And in real life, it, it instantly makes you a weirdo. And all your friends want pepperoni pizza, but you're the one guy, one person that says no. And you're always that guy. And we did seven-day Sabbath from sundown to sundown, which meant no TV, no hanging out with my Gentile friends, no parties. I missed out on Boy Scouts and varsity football, but I'm glad my mom was liberal enough to let me go to my high school prom. Women couldn't wear makeup because the evil Queen Jezebel from the Bible painted her face. Uh, birthday celebrations were bad. I honestly don't know why, probably because something about bad birthdays being bad in the Bible or maybe promoted egotism in children. We also did the seven holy days of the Jewish calendar. Pentecost, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah are the famous ones, but also the Days of Unleavened Bread, where you couldn't have any normal bread in the house for a week. And yes, we fasted on Yom Kippur for 24 hours, no food or water, but two hours of church. I remember they'd even put tape over the public water fountains to you know, keep us in check. 
And one of my friends, John, he was bad and drank a sip of water to show us that we wouldn't get struck down by lightning. <laughs> we did a three-tiered tithing thing, 10% to church, 10% to the festivals, and 10% to the poor. And so the church had a lot of money. And we did Passover, but no Christmas, Easter, or Halloween. And the reason was because there was a verse in the Bible that says that following pagans was bad. And examples in the Bible are about child sacrifice, but we read it to mean that one's pagan, always pagan. So Christmas and Easter had pagan origins, and Halloween, of course, was full of it. But my older sister and I would hide with the lights off and watch the trick-or-treaters. And we watched with both equal portions envy and, and judgment because it was all these little pagans who didn't know the Bible. And it, sound like, it might sound like I missed out on normal childhood, and that's understandable. And if you have fond memories of Christmas or Halloween, then you might feel sorry that I missed out on something important, and I probably did. But at the same time, the greatest sorrow is not really envy, just isolation. No one understands or always feeling left out or misunderstood. And I was genuine about my faith. I didn't have a choice and accepted it as normal. But all these hardcore, hardcore rules just isolate people and disrupt families and communities. And that's the real sadness. So this is how I got out. So 1994 happened. And my church had a college. And I went. And I was a freshman. And it was Christmas weekend in 1994 when literally everything changed. Our church leader went up before everyone and gave a three-hour sermon on why the church was wrong. Yes, wrong about everything. So in a nutshell, he wanted us to change to mainstream Protestant. And central to it was the book of Galatians where Paul says the law was nailed to the cross. And I didn't have a problem with it at first. It isn't about the rules. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the center. These other things are small and significant. In fact, they divide and splinter and isolate people. And, and I understood that. That was my entire life. So I was quite happy to be a normal Protestant. I could do Christmas and hang out with my friends on Friday night, eat pork, and even date Gentile girls. And, and, I, and I married one, too. So, <laughs> Even better, my, my little daughter is wearing a Halloween costume today at church. <laughs> so it was kind of blissful. There was a lot of freedom to liberation with Jesus. And, but then the dark side emerged. And first, you know, many of my friends and some family did not like this drastic change. So the church basically imploded and went through a civil war. It was fought through sermons. Attendance dropped at the school, and two years later it closed. But by then I'd, back to, I'd transferred back to a school in Virginia. And it became clear that the, strict rule, the church's strict rules had kept my family together. So shortly thereafter, my parents divorced. And that's for when my long night of the soul kicked in. And I started to feel a real deep shame about my childhood church. And it was a very lonely time, actually. I was 20, 21. I was a recent university transfer and had almost no friends at my new school. And certainly no one that I could confide in about like an enormous personal crisis. And I felt like a teenager again, having to relearn a central basic question, like, who am I? Like, I really did not know. And I had many questions and took the quest for truth genuinely. I wanted answers but couldn't see Jesus in the Protestant churches or conservative evangelicals. Evangel, bah, evangelicals, you know. <laughs> they were more about avoiding hell than Jesus. So a quick example, like I was told that I was going to hell because I believed in evolution. 
and the two people who, pro- who proclaimed this to me immediately gave each other a high five. And I thought, this is another cult. Uh, one more larger and more established and with access to the U.S. military and not about Jesus. And I eventually found healing not in church but in the philosophy of deism. So that's a belief about God but not a particular religion or tradition or scripture. It's embodied by the famous model of the clockmaker who created the world then let it run. And there was something wondrous and miraculous about creation that I couldn't deny. But it's, and it's also great for someone with church PTSD but it's also cold and distant. No miracles. Humanity is on this planet alone. But eventually God called me back. How I started having miracles happen. The biggest one was listening to these Alpha Course talks from a church in England. It's kind of like our C class, and the talk was about healing, and this was through the Internet. And it was kind of like a prayer team. The speaker would say a situation, and if it fits you, then you come back for prayer. In March 2008, I was listening to recordings made six months before in another country, and one of the situations they called fit me. And at the time, I was recovering from a major leg injury and was roughly about that. And it flipped my world. God cared about me and my leg. And all of a sudden, I felt this enormous spiritual presence. It was like my first Holy Spirit experience. It was like being struck by lightning, but into my heart. And I was suddenly aware that my spirit was a big bag of liquid sorrow. And God had turned on the faucet, and it drained out. And I wondered to God, where have you been all this time? And So I started coming to church again, voluntarily, for the first time in 10 years. And I've called the River Church my home since then. But God didn't stop talking there. He kept on doing it. And I I fully embraced the conversational prayer practice just catching the whispers of the Holy Spirit and what's what's it saying, what's it doing, doing that as often as I can. And even a few years ago, God spoke to me about George W. Bush. <laughs> I did not like him, to say the least. And it was a long talk, but the gist was that the man tried his best, and it's a very difficult position to be president, and the man was sincere. And in that, I silently forgave George W. Bush, or at least I felt understood him better. And But none of these things uh, answered the big questions I had, like, is the Bible subjective and contradictory, or, you know, that Christians say and do horrible things, and church denominations are dysfunctional and jealous of each other, and what's the age of the earth? But one thing that changed that those questions didn't matter as much anymore. I had encounters with a loving God, and that's what I needed, and it was about Jesus after all. So now that everyone knows my secret history, I have to change my email password. Thank you, Steve. Um, Nandamiso will share with us next. Thanks, Caroline. Hi. So my audience is usually under the age of 10. So uh, this is going to be different. But uh, let's see how it goes. So last month, someone from the Iris called me and left me a voice message. And I'll summarize the voice message for you guys. 
It's Joe from Tax Road. We have tried to reach you regarding an outstanding balance on your taxes for the past six months with no response. So your case has been considered an intentional fraud and a lawsuit has been filed under your name by the United States of America IRS Department. Now, do you guys know that the IRS never calls? Like, (laughs) ever? Uh, Did you also know that there's been numerous... Oh, thank you. There's been numerous articles written about tax scams. Well, I didn't um, <laughs> at all. So I happily listened to this voice message. So I'll come back to what happened afterwards um, after I listened to this wonderful voice message and uh, pretty much why I hate roller coasters. So hang on to that. But so first, I would like to share a bit about myself. I'm Nandu. And uh, I'm somewhat of an introvert, and I really don't like change. I love my routines, and I find uncertainty very unsettling, and I'm quite normal in that. So I recently went on a Netflix strike because Netflix took away my sitcom that I was watching on the loop for three years. Uh, It's called Rules of Engagement. Great show. Makes me laugh. And I pretty much know all the bits in that show, and I'm happy to watch it when they bring it back. Um, So I'm also originally from Swaziland, and I came to the U.S. for college. So while I was in Swaziland, I had this really wonderful opportunity to attend an integrated high school. Um, It's a private high school with uh, students from different racial, socioeconomic backgrounds, and we're all from different countries, all stuck together in a boarding school in Swaziland. And I represented the lower income spectrum. I grew up mostly in a single parent home in a farm. My mom was an English literature high school teacher and she loved to read. And so naturally, I turned out to be a nerd. And I ended up in the school with 100% financial aid. So while in this high school, uh, I became drawn to diversity. I was in many visible ways different from the other kids at my school, and yet um, there was room for all of us. There was space for all of us, and we all sort of just loved being there. Now, this diverse space resonated with me, and quite honestly, my fondest memories of my teenagehood are so connected to this boarding school, which was just three three hours away from home. Now, three hours in Swaziland is like similar to say, if you're from New York and you choose a school in the West Coast, it's a tiny country. So that was like quite a, you know, a a distance from home. So in some ways, that's part of the reason that I decided to look for jobs in the U.S. after college. I had come here for, for college. And so because I was looking for a diverse environment, I kind of wanted to stick around. It was 2008 when I graduated, Uh, apparently the worst year to graduate. So I took the first job that offered to do my visa sponsorship, and fortunately, it was based in a diverse city, New York City. I didn't know that many people in the city when I moved here in 2008. I just knew kids from my um, Middlebury College experience that had moved here. And one of those friends that I knew in the city was Felix Muchomba, who invited me to the river. 
And my first impression of the river was that just people hung out a lot, like too much. And, um, and for an introvert, I didn't actually know that I was introvert back then. I was just tired all the time. Um, but, but it was a diverse community and something that resonated with me. So I uh, kept coming back and suffered through lunches. Um, so when I moved... So I moved to New York the summer of 2008, and the winter of that same year, my siblings and I, we lost our mom. And my journey into grief, in many ways, coincided with my journey into personalizing faith and exploring a conversational relationship with God. So up until then, um, most of my faith was because my mom believed, and God seemed to be good to her. And she kind of just made us really believe in a good way. Um, so after the loss, there was just a lot of disorientation that came with losing our mom. She just knew how to love me. Um, but like any normal parent who will admit it, she had her two favorite children, and I wasn't one of those. Um, but seriously, she loved us all. It just looked different and very loving. So I ended up quitting my job, mostly because I was finally processing the loss. I was grieving, and I didn't know what was going on. I was just unhappy at my job. Now, did you guys know that finding a new job can sometimes take a long time? Uh, one of those things that I didn't quite process and didn't realize, it took me three years. Now, during these three years, I some, somehow stayed connected, and there were opportunities to learn about God. I learned about conversational prayer, and while I was unemployed, I would take walks across the Brooklyn Bridge into downtown Brooklyn because I enjoyed the walk, and it just gave me something to do. And I would imagine talking to God during this walk. Well, it was more like giving him a laundry list of everything that was going well. Uh, not a whole lot was going well at that time. And during one of these walks across the bridge, I had a thought about the supporting friendships and the community that I had in my life at that time. How my connection to them was so enriching, even though my life wasn't going well at all. I wasn't going through life alone. And um, somehow after this walk, I felt a little braver to embrace the unknowns that were on my mind at that time. It gave me hope that I, I, I would be okay, that I could let myself off the hook of trying to figure it all out, and that where I belonged could be where I felt connected. And that the question of where I belonged could be yet another unknown journey to discover little by little, and that I didn't have to have it all figured out. I believe this was God guiding me, because my true default is to avoid uncertainty. And yet, a lot of what was going through my mind at that moment was about embracing the unknowns. So it could not have come from me. So after this walk, um, I continued to find to try and find different ways to stay in this country and to find a job. But it was from a different place where the unknowns 
with just less, slightly less paralyzing. So I eventually found a job three years later, and I'm currently in the last stage of my green card petition process. And the odds of this happening were, were non-existent while I was on that walk. So now back to this IRS voice message. So after I listened to the voice message, I immediately called back, and Joe from the IRS walked me through my dilemma. Pay the outstanding balance or get a criminal lawyer. Now, when he said criminal lawyer, my adrenaline went right through the roof, and that's why I hate roller coasters. I don't like the feel of an adrenaline rush. I stomach it for my sports events, but that's just, that's just about it. So all I had was criminal case, goodbye, green card. At some point, while I was mentally freaking out during this conversation, I had a thought that brought me some peace. This could be one of those times when life is uncertain and you'll still be okay. So 30 minutes into the call, I asked for evidence of this miscalculation that led to an error. When I didn't get a straight answer, some light bulb went off in my head. It could be a scam. But given my immigration story and finally having an opportunity to petition for a green card, such a call was my worst nightmare. So I told Joe from the IRS that I needed to consult with an accountant, and I ended the call. But I was still freaking out. So I looked up the NYC IRS number. It was different from Joe's number. And um, this is when I learned what you all already know. <laughs> the IRS never calls, like ever. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, both of you, Steve and Nandumiso. Um, so like the stories that we've heard there, um, the conversations with God have a way of breaking into sometimes rigid um, perspectives that we already have in life that's really hard to break out of. And, you know, slowly and patiently um, shape us in transform us um, as we have that walk with God, like having a really great friend who can speak truth into our lives. Journaling has always been my favorite way of having conversations with God. Um, I journaled as a teenager, uh, not to God, I wasn't a believer, um, but as an angsty, introvert, introverted, internal processor, writing was the most helpful way for me to process feelings and thoughts, so I journaled. As a new Christian um, in my 20s, I journaled as a way to pray, um, and I had no expectation of God speaking back to me. It was like, a, I guess, letters to God. Then about roughly 20 years ago, I learned that God speaks to us, to people, not just to special people, but to everyone, and that my prayer could be two-way conversations. 
Um, and that journaling can be a great way to have this two-way conversation with God. And this practice revolutionized my relationship, my friendship with God. I don't think I was able to view God as a friend um, at all before then. But over the 20 years of practice, practicing this, I feel like it's the one thing that has really transformed me. It also made me realize that God was always speaking to me. I just didn't realize that. So I would love to introduce this practice of journaling to you guys today um, and take, take some time to um, practice it. So how it works is if you could, like, um, we've created the little bookmarks so you guys can all take it home with you. So let me explain as uh, we hand that out. So it's just like journaling. Um, so you would sit down with a journal and relax and just rest in God's love for a moment. And then uh, write to God your thoughts and feelings, whatever that comes to your mind, without judging or censoring. There's no right or wrong way to pray. There's no right or wrong feelings to express. There's no way that you will offend God. So freely express yourself. That's like the first step. Then, now that you've expressed yourself, ask God to speak to you. After writing your feelings and thoughts, ask, what do you say about this God? And then write down what comes to your mind without judging it. So that's... Um, very important, writing down things that comes to your mind that you imagine is from God. It could be in words, it could be in pictures, it could be an impression, it could be just a new thought that you've never had before. So write that down without judging, without trying to figure out if it was really from God or not, or did I make it all up. Because it is impossible to have a conversation with somebody if in the back of my mind I'm constantly asking, is this an actual conversation or am I making this whole up? The beauty of writing it all down is that we can write down our conversation without judging. And when the conversation's over, we can go back to it and then try to discern. So at this um, in this process, in this um, stage, just write down what you feel like God might be speaking, speaking to you. Uh, and continue this process of expressing yourself in writing and then jotting down what you think God might be saying in response if there's more to pursue. And after you're done, then... Let's examine what you wrote down. God is love, so um, and love builds up. So even in pointing out our areas of weakness, God is always gentle, and it brings hope and encouragement when we hear from God. 
Uh, and I'm not saying that every word that you write down is from God. Because that would be crazy. But I'm asking to consider the possibility that they are from God. There might be from God. At least some part of it. Even in one conversation, it is possible that as, um, as we journal, the Holy Spirit breaks through our thought process and communicate with us in some way. So that could, it's possible. So consider the possibility that Holy Spirit, Spirit is breaking through and that it might be on the paper, on the words that you've, um, in the words that you've written down. So let's go back and read and see anything that sounds surprising, insightful, or different from your usual thinking patterns. Like uh, Nandumiso talked a little bit about, um, she felt that it was from God because it was so different from um, her usual way of thinking. Um, And something that moves you or gives you hope and encourages you then pay attention to those things because it is hard to self-manufacture hope and encouragement. And then if those things kind of pop and um, stand out to you as significant, we can also ask God what that might mean for us personally. So how does this apply to our life specifically? If God says, I love you, it's very generic, and it's true, but we could actually be asking, what does that mean for me in this situation in my life now? It, could, it might mean that um, we could be more bold or less fearful in our relationships or in, our, in specific relationships we have at work, um, something like that. This step is where God's truth in our life can influence how we live and make choices in bringing about kind of a long-term change in us. And lastly, thank God for speaking to you. If you feel that you've heard something that will require further action, share with it. Uh, share with someone you trust um, in the, uh, or and someone you, uh, your friends could be in the church who um, practice this type of um, conversational prayer with God would be a great person to talk to. Um, so that's kind of the gist of it. It's pretty, um, and it, it could it could feel hard, but I would love to take like five minutes to try it. Um, so I will pray for all of us. To start, and then you guys can start writing to God, whatever comes to your mind, your feelings and thoughts. And then after you write, we'll take a pause and ask God to speak to you. And you'll also write down what comes to your mind. It could be pictures, words, impressions, or even thoughts, or one word or a phrase. And then later, um, you have uh, you'll go back and read it and see if it might actually from God and God's voice might be speaking to you okay do you guys all have your bookmarks and the boards to write on yeah let me pray for us to start this time 
The Holy Spirit, I ask you to come close to us and help us rest in your spirit right now. Rest in your love, your great love for us, and your great desire to connect with us. So just pray for that peace and rest to come to us. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take five minutes. Thank you, God, for speaking to us and being with us. Amen. So some of you might have found it hard to do this practice, um, sitting with other people in the room. Um, it might work better if you're home alone. Um, there's a good book if you want to pursue this type of uh, conversational prayer with God, which is uh, um, listed on your program called Hearing God. Developing a Conversational Relationship with God by Dallas Willard. Um, for real fruit and benefit from this um, practice, do it regularly. Um, I think that's kind of the only way to really get to know the voice of God well um, and be able to really discern it. You will get used to the tone of God's voice and the content and his humor and um, it's kind of like when you're really close to a friend, you will recognize her voice right away when you pick up the phone. So it's kind of like that. So the more we do it, um, better it gets. And what I shared is just one way of doing the conversational prayer. And there's a, many different ways to do it. And this happens to be the one that I like um, that I shared with you. Some people find it really helpful to move when they talk to God. Um, like um, Nandu talked about being on a walk when um, she talked to God. So, um, and Sarah, our, one of our pastors, is one of um, the people who like to go for a walk when she talks to God. And she recorded this um, little um, meditation that you can listen to as when you go for a walk next time. And she, uh, she will guide through um, conversational prayer with God as you take a walk. And you can find that recording on your app. So let me wrap up there. <laughs>